welcome back to Franklin Covey's weekly podcast on leadership with Scott Miller. That's me. I'm your host and interviewer each week where every Tuesday we release a new episode, both in audio and video format, where we have the humbling privilege of interviewing some of the world's most remarkable transformative leaders, whether they are business titans, best-selling authors, elite performance coaches like today's guest, whether they perhaps have won the Pulitzer Prize or perhaps they're a member of our military. And in some cases, they may not be household names because they might have been someone that survived a tragedy or some kind of unfortunate event and lived to tell about it. And through their survival and perseverance, we have the opportunity to build better lives as leaders in our organizations, as leaders in our families, and as better citizens. And each year, I am privileged as the host of this podcast for Franklin Covey to also write a book about the podcast, Master Mentors, Volume 1 and Volume 2, out now one each year in paperback, print, audio, digital, and on video from Lit Video Books, where, with the permission of guests, I feature 30 people in each volume and highlight one transformational insight from each of them. Volumes 1 and 2 available now. Volumes 3 coming out with 30 new guests in the fall on my way to 10 volumes in the Master Mentors series. Love to have you pick up a copy and read it. I think it'll meet you exactly where you are in your life. Today's guest is joining us from Chicago, Illinois. His name is Tim Grover. You know him as the elite performance coach to Kobe Bryant, Dwayne Wade, Michael Jordan, amongst others. He wrote a phenomenal series of books, including this one called Winning, The Unforgiving Race to Greatness. He is the best-selling author of several books, including Relentless. Tim Grover, welcome to On Leadership. Scott, welcome. What an honor. Thank you so much. Tim, it's great to have you here. You wrote this book about how to be a winner from your experience across a wide variety of clients as a high-performance coach. We're going to share some great stories today of your time both with some of the greats like Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, amongst many. You coach many people across industries as well. But I want to kind of rewind and start with a story of how you came to meet Michael Jordan. And I want you to take your time, including the, 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 the role you were playing, the job you were playing at the time, and how he came to respond to it and make sure you include the story about the shoes and the socks. <laughs> I've, seen you, I've seen you've done your homework. I have, sir. So I, was, I had just finished my master's degree. And listen, in my family, if you're not going to school, you got to go to work. So I finished a master's degree, and I went to work at a local health club working as a fitness instructor. I was getting paid, back then the minimum wage was $3.35. So I took, the, I took the job and I wasn't even allowed to train back then even though my educational background was extremely high. So what I ended up doing was I took this job and it was actually one of the greatest things that happened to me because when I was in school, I learned all the book stuff, but I didn't really have the practical stuff. So this allowed me to work on my craft. I started training after six months. I had to take a certification course uh, again, which was which was a little funny about it because I had to. I'm the one that actually wrote the certification course for the for the health club. So I ended up taking my own test to become certified in this in this facility. And then you know I started just training average average individuals, individuals that wanted to lose weight. Um, people that wanted to become better tennis players, better basketball players, whatever it was. And there was a small article in a newspaper 
And this was in like 1988 or 1989. So I had been working at the health club for about three, four years that said Michael Jordan was looking to get stronger because he was tired of taking the physical abuse from the Detroit Pistons. I said, okay. I said, yeah, why not? So back then, remember, no cell phones, no emails, no texting. So I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write 14 letters because there's 15 players on a basketball team, on a roster. I'm going to write 14 letters, handwritten letters, to every player on the Bulls roster except Michael Jordan because I was like, well, he's not going to hire me. I've never worked with a professional athlete. But if he gets to see the work I've done with somebody else, maybe he will consider me. So I wrote the letters, put them in an envelope, put a stamp, dropped them in a mailbox, mailed them. Didn't get a response, didn't get any responses. The one person I did not write the letter to ended up seeing the letter. He grabbed it out of somebody else's locker, told the athletic trainer and the team physician at that time, find out what this kid's about. So though I got a call and just said, hey, one of the players got your letter. He's interested in hiring you. But before we do that, we need to make sure you know what you're talking about. So those two individuals put me through a vigorous, practical, and psychological and schools exam to make sure I knew exactly what I was talking about. So I satisfied their 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 needs with my understanding of the anatomy, physiology, training, my basketball knowledge, and so forth. So they said, okay, they gave me an address and they said, all right, this is a client, go meet them at this time. They, I had no idea who this was. They never told me, not not a clue, never met the individual. So I get the, I get the address, I go to the doorbell, I ring the doorbell, no answer. I ring it again, no answer. I ring it a third time, Michael Jordan opens up the door. I'm like, okay, not what I was expecting. And first thing that popped in my head, he goes, come on in. And I look down at my shoes and I'm wearing Converse. Okay. So I said, all right, do I take off my shoes or do I go into place with the shoes on? And I said, okay, let me take off my shoes because I know how big of a Nike. He, this was before this was before the Jordan brand. And I said, I know how big of a Nike guy I was. So I took off my shoes. Listen, remember, I'm a kid making $3.35 35 back at the, at the health club, maybe a little bit more by then. I got holes in my socks, both of them. So what I'm doing is I'm literally with my feet, I'm turning my socks around so the holes are on the bottom. So I'm like, all right, do I go in with holes in the socks or do I go in with shoes on? Hey, let me go in there with holes for the socks. Because I said, if I do what I'm supposed to do, the focus will no longer be on the shoes and the socks. So I went into the I went in there. We talked for about two and a half hours. I explained my philosophy philosophy to him. He told me what he wanted to do. He said, "Listen, I just need to get stronger and bigger, and I just uh, you know become a better athlete." And I just uh, I said, "Well, who else have you spoken to?" He said he spoke to a, a few other individuals. I said, "Well, what is their philosophy?" He goes, "Yeah, they told me I, I was they're going to put 15 pounds on me." And I said, "Michael, with all due respect." I said, that's not the way this should be done. I said, you have some nagging injuries that consist that you consistently have. You know, you, you have issues with your hamstrings, you have issues with your ankle, you have issues with your with your groin. So I said, if we address those, you're automatically going to be a better athlete. You're automatically going to be stronger. 
you're automatically going to be able to play more, more, more efficiently. And I said, somebody who is fine tuned as you are just adding that much weight, which is not possible to do anyway. It's actually going to affect your game in a negative way. And he goes, that doesn't sound right. And I said, well, it doesn't get any righter. And he thought about it and he said, you know what? All right, I'm going to try you out. He goes, I'm going to give you 30 days. And 30 days turned into 15 years. I walked out the door. I asked him, when do you want to start? He goes, we're starting tomorrow. He goes, you have until then to get some equipment in the house. And the last thing he said, never again, which meant never come to the house with a pair of Converse. Make sure they're Nike. So that was the first thing I went and bought a new pair of shoes and then started to work on the architect of the gym. 30, 30 days turned into 15 years. Actually, Tim, it's a great story. Your book, Winning, is full of stories like that that actually have nothing to do with being around superstars as you've spent your entire career now and still do as a coach and author and keynote speaker. But it really, I think, speaks to the, the, the aspect of all of us in perseverance and belief in ourselves and putting ourselves out on the limb in disrupting ourselves. I mean, here you are, you know, uh, an educated but fairly young guy in Chicago that took a huge leap. You sent out 15 letters the old-fashioned way, and I think there are so many lessons to be learned from that initial launch of what turned out to be a celebrity career for you. Speak to all of us right now that are not going to be superstar NBA players or we're going to be not going to be CEOs of some big company. We're going to live great lives with great missions and earn a great living and give back. Remind us that, you know, sometimes the good old-fashioned way of putting 15 letters in the mail and following up on them can land you a 15-year career with an equivalent of Michael yes. Jordan. Here's the lesson I, I, I want to pass on to all individuals that are listening to this. All right. If you're not willing to gamble on yourself, why is somebody else going to gamble on you? Do you have enough trust, enough faith, enough moxie in your abilities to say, I can do this. This is what, this is where I want. This is where I want to be. Are you willing to take that chance? Are you willing to take that risk? Cause there's consequences, whether you take the risk or you don't take, take the risk. You know, I rather take the risk because the worst thing that could happen is if you take the risk, you're in the same spot you were before. But if you succeed at that risk, it could literally be life-changing. It could literally be life-changing for you. So you got to be willing to gamble on yourself. You got to be able to trust yourself. You got to be able to have conversations with yourself that, hey, I believe in myself. I know what I'm capable of doing. All I need is a chance. And a lot of times you have to create that chance. And you can't create that chance if you don't gamble on yourself. In fact, Tim, take that a little bit further because one of the things you wrote that these elite athletes have, including Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant, was that they have this, what some might perceive as an almost uh, arrogant belief in themselves, that they actually don't listen to the naysayers. They watch hours and hours and hours of film and they study it and they perfect their skill, but they do have what might be an unrelatable belief in themselves. Reiterate how important that is for everyone that's watching and listening that may feel like well, their boss doesn't believe in them and their spouse doesn't believe in them or their coach. How, how does someone who perhaps right now sees that as aspirational or they see it as arrogant or they see it as grandstanding, how important is belief in yourself? 
belief in yourself is is everything. So I, you know, I talk about ego and confidence a lot. And everybody talks about ego being a bad thing. You need ego and you need confidence. And this is the difference. So here it is. Ego is about yourself. All right. Confidence is about the team. But if you can't elevate yourself, if you can't elevate yourself, you're never going to be able to elevate the team. So you have to have a, a hearty, earned ego, earned ego. And that leads to a very strong belief and confidence in yourself. You know, the other one talks about you learn a lot from your you learn a lot from your failures. Well, how do you get more confident? By your wins. And how do you get more wins? By putting yourself out there, by taking by taking a chance, by looking over the ledge and understanding that if I throw myself over there, that's where greatness, that's where greatness is. You have to believe in yourself to let go of that safety net. You have to let go of that safety net. Tim, I've spent my entire 30-year career in the leadership development industry as an author, as an officer in a public company dedicated to leadership, Franklin Covey. And you know, I have a bit of a different philosophy than some in the industry, and that is I don't think everyone should be a leader. A lot of people think, well, everyone's a leader of the team. I think that, you know, not everyone should be a leader of people. Not everyone should be a commercial airline pilot. Not everyone should be an anesthesiologist. And there's a school of thought that thinks I'm wrong. No, no, no. Everyone is a leader of people. Well, may, may, maybe if you stretch it out in some nth degree. But do you find that there's a correlation or an inverse correlation between elite athletes, elite performers, and whether or not they should be leading people on their team where would you take that? Like, are Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and Dwayne Wade and others, are they good leaders of people? Or can you also do that and be an elite performer? So they were great leaders of people within their culture, within their sport. You know, Michael on the last dance said, you know, you know, winning has a price. Leadership has a price. He had his style and his identity of how he was taught how leadership, what leadership meant, meant to him. And you heard a lot of the players. Yes. Was he tough? Was he ruthless? Was he relentless? Was he all those things? Yes. He, yes, he was. But he had also won at a level that the other individuals hadn't won at before. So he knew that this is the way I'm going to do it. And everybody needs to fight. Everybody needs to follow me because you have not been and gone through what I've got, what I've gone, what I've gone through. Now, does that make him a great leader in in other aspects? Possibly not. Maybe you know, with same thing with Kobe Bryant. He had a leadership style that was very that was very ruthless, very tough. He knew when to pat somebody on the back and when to get get into the face. So leadership comes with different levels of communication. You cannot talk to all. Leaders cannot talk to all their individuals the same way. Some individuals need a pat on the back. Others need a, a more of a direct approach. And if you're a leader and you get those two personalities confused, you're going to have a very hard time being that leader of that whole of that whole group. Is leadership meant for everybody? Everybody thinks they're a leader. And I always say this. I, I do this in a lot of my talks. I ask people, I said, who think... Who thinks they're a leader? And a lot of people understand. I said, well, leaders don't think, they know. 
they know. So you, if you have to think, you're, you're unsure. If you're in a leadership position, very rarely are you unsure. Tim, I believe you wrote in the book, uh, uh, you were asked the difference between Michael and Kobe, and, and I'm sure it's more in-depth than this, but you in essence said, well, Kobe was a case of working harder and Michael was a case of working smarter. I'm sure there's more depth to that than just those comments. Uh, expand on that. So Michael knew when enough was enough. And same thing, you know, we, you just talk, we were just talking about leadership earlier. You can overlead. So just like the thing, you can overtrain, you can over, you can overstudy, you can be, you can be overprepared. All right. The ability to trust your instincts and have your instincts trust you is knowing exactly the correct amount of preparation that that you need. Because here's the thing: when you when you prepare too much, all right, and this is more like a physiological, psychological thing, something else has to give up. Whether it could be your nutrition, it could be your sleep, it could be your workout, it could be family time, it could be things that actually help you perform at a high perform at a higher level so what happens is you have to know when is enough when to stop when to continue when to slow down when to when to when to speed up so with michael he understood very early when enough was enough when i was brought in to work with kobe with him, I actually had to slow him down. I actually had to teach him to be more efficient, to do less, to do it more, to do it more effectively, to change the change the intensity of what he was doing instead of always running in the red. You know, if you have if you have a car and it's constantly running in the red, the engine's going to burn out. If you know, people talk about laser focus. When you have a laser focus on one thing, if that laser is hitting the same spot over and over again, and it never gets a chance to turn off or dim, you're gonna burn out. You're going to burn out. Tim, uh, what do elite athletes have in common across perhaps all sports, other than perhaps natural talent? Are there a couple of, are there a couple of attributes that elite athletes have in common that I should know about as a father, as a spouse, as an entrepreneur, as a business leader, perhaps what are the lessons for me to take from these athletes you've trained and apply them in my own personal life and my own business? One thing is they all have the shortest memories. They don't forget, but they don't think about it. Because if you're thinking about a negative thing, a negative emotion, uh, you missed a shot, you got a strikeout, or you didn't throw that touchdown, whatever it is, you start to overthink. They have the ability to just forget about things and and just move, move on. They have the ability to stop thinking and go to what's next. The ability to recover really quickly from a, a, a good play. You know, they don't get really, they don't get uh, emotionally high off of something they've done exceptional. They don't get really low when th things go bad. So they have the ability, they have the ability not to think at the moment instantly like that. But it takes years and years of thinking to have the ability not to think. Let's talk about so another that, concept of winning for a moment. Um, mm -hmm. This next sentence is not a political sentence at all for those who are listening to us. Um, I once heard former 
uh, Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi say in mm -hmm. an interview, uh, power is not given to you, you have to take it. Now, some may hear that as something about election fraud. It's not that at all. I just, <laughs> I thought about it. I'm not a member of her party. I don't mm. like or dislike her. Um, I don't usually have the same politics as, as her. But I heard her say this, that no one gives you power. You have to take it. And I've thought about it a lot since then. You have a chapter in your book called Winning Belongs to Them, and it's your job to take it. Yes. What do you mean by that? Listen, each win it really belongs to somebody else. So it, after my, after my, the clients I work with won a, won a championship, they own that championship for a very short moment. And then even you, know, you go to law, you look at the odds in Vegas and they literally have some other team already winning it, winning it next year. So everything that, everything that you want, everything that you need, everything that you want to earn, all right, that that greatness, th those wins belong to somebody else, and you got to fight to to make those your wins. You know, I was with Kobe Bryant played basketball for twenty years. Twenty years, he won the championship five times. So for five days out of twenty years, he was able to call himself a champion for five days. And then it, the reset button hit, hit again. It hit again. It hit again over and over and over again because now the win, it, it, you've enjoyed that. You've enjoyed that moment. But now that win belongs to the other teams. And now you got to go earn it. You got to go earn it again. Tim, I didn't follow Kobe Bryant's career very closely. Obviously, his status and stature has been immortalized in the tragic passing of he and his daughter and the members of that helicopter crash. And uh, I wish his family well. Uh, but it sounds like an interesting character. I mean, this guy, this guy was a smart guy. He studied five languages. Tell us about Kobe. Not only did he study five languages, he was very fluent at him. And he understood the advantage of being able to speak those different speak those different languages, so he was able to communicate with teammates and other players on the uh, on the opposing team, you know, in different in different languages. He was very fluent in Spanish. He was very fluent in very uh, Italian, and then he understood way before everybody else did that basketball, in order to grow, was going to grow in the different Asian countries. So he started to become very fluent in those, langu uh, those languages. So when he was sent down there to do promotional stuff for his brand and so forth, he was able to communicate thoroughly without a trans, you know, sometimes with a translator, other times with without a translator. So he understood that it gave him an advantage and he studied and mastered film like no other individual. He paid attention to every little detail. That was something him and Michael were very similar in. You know how people always say, don't sweat the small stuff? They sweated every single detail. And that's what separated them from everybody else. They paid attention to everything, every little detail. Tim, this next question I want you to take a pause and think about before you answer it. 
because it's something that fascinates me. It's about mindset. Uh, Dr. Covey, who is the founder of our firm, passed about yes. 11 years ago. He didn't invent the idea of a paradigm, but he certainly popularized it in his book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yes. And we hear so much about how important your mindset is to your skill set, that your results flow from your behaviors and your behaviors flow from your mindset. And so many people like yourself that have written books about high-performance athletes and high-performance you know, professionals, they reiterate the same thing over and over again, that the voice in your mind, which you tell yourself is so important, that it's important to open your, open your morning with you know, realistic but positive thinking about your day ahead, that your mindset is crucial to everything you do. We hear this over and over and over again. Perhaps you're gonna reiterate that. Will you riff on this? How does someone who's in a rut, how does someone who wants to believe in themselves, but they're working in a rough situation or their marriage isn't exactly what they want it to be, or perhaps their health isn't where they need it to be. They wanna go for greatness in their life, but they don't know how to change their mindset because their reality is their reality. Give us, a, give us a masterclass, Tim Grover, on what can we each do today to build the you discipline in our mindset? So I, I, the first thing I would say is stop asking how and ask why. Why do you want to change or why are you in a rut? Why are you in the situ why are you in the situation that you're in? Why do you when you get up in the morning you you're not you're not motivated? Uh, it, who is such who are you listening to the shouts of everyone else or are you actually listening to the whispers of your own voice? Do you, do you trust yourself? What happens is you ask for honesty from everyone else. Are you being honest with yourself of why you're in this, in, this situa in this situation? You have to have those meaningful conversations with yourself in order for your mindset to change. Your skill set will not change unless your mindset starts to change. So what happens is we all have situations that we can control, all right? But you know what happens? The individuals that's, that excel, that succeed, all right, they can control what they can control. But the reason they do that is so when the uncontrollable comes up, the uncontrollable becomes more manageable. You're not going to be able to control the uncontrollable. But if your life is chaotic and you have so many voices going on in your head, you don't have the ability to control what you can control. So when the uncontrollable comes up and it's coming at every single day, something uncontrollable is coming in your life every single day. If you control what you can control, it makes the uncontrollable more manageable. Have that conversation with yourself. Understand what you can control. Know do you have a routine? Everyone should has a routine. I, there's two things. There's two things about routine I like to speak. I like to speak about, and this has a lot to do with mindset. There's individuals that have a routine out of boredom that creates comfort. All right, and when you're bored, you don't know who the enemy is. Then there's individuals who have a routine out of a skill set. And that skill set creates comfort. So you can either have you can either have both you both create comfort. Boredom creates comfort and a skill set creates comfort. Which are you sharpening every single day? Are you sharpening the boredom 
Why are you sharpening the skill set? In fact, Tim, in the book, you write extensively about the power of routines, both the power, yes. perhaps negative, of the ones we find ourselves in every day, and the power of what these elite high-performance athletes have in terms of also changing their routine. Talk a little bit about how each of us can be assessing and thinking about are the routines in our life helping or hurting us? Well, here's the thing. You already know if your routine in the morning is, is helping or hurting you. All right. People always look. You could be in the same spot and still continue to make progress. Everybody thinks they need to be they need to be moving in order to make in order to make progress. In order to make progress, you have to keep you have to keep pedaling. You have to keep fighting. You have to keep going in the same spot over and over and over again. Then you'll start. Then you'll start to gain. Then you'll start to gain. You'll start to gain momentum. People give up on things too quickly. They, so, so what happens is they jump from one coach to another. They go from one podcast to another. They go from one influencer to another. So now what happens is you have all this information that everybody else's information that you're trying to make your own. I always say this when you when you hear when you hear a podcast, when you hear a speaker, whatever it may be, when you read a book. Take what you can take and leave the rest of it behind. And that's how to assess your, assess your, uh, your routine. Take what you need, what is essential in order for you to move forward in your routine and leave the other things behind. Because we always look to add. We look to add, add, add. We're always looking to add more friends, add more followers, add more listeners. You know, uh, everything in our, our lives is about addition, addition, addition. And the most successful individuals, it's about the deletion. So when you're going into your routine, what is necessary and what is unnecessary in order for you to continue or to, or to progress moving forward? Because the less weight you have, the less baggage you have in your routine, the more focus you will have to be able to excel at wherever you want to excel at. Let's talk about the concept of winning being selfish. Recently, I was reading Scottie Pippen's memoir, preparing for an interview on this podcast, and I didn't know this, but Scottie's first family fell apart, his wife and his first child, because as he writes pretty um, forwardly, basketball was more important to him. It went on to an amazing career. You obviously know of him well from being with the Bulls and helping Michael. But I kind of always, I kind of felt that was you know, maybe naively sad for me to think, wow, you kind of freely admitted that basketball was more important than your marriage and your children. And you write a chapter about how selfish winning can actually be, the sacrifices that have to be made. Um, what do you mean by that? Well, there, listen, winning does have a price. It does. You know, I, I have a saying in the book, winning will cost you everything, but reward you with so much more. And when I talk about being selfish is it's got the word self in it. If you don't take care of yourself, all right, your ability to take care of other individuals will not be as strong. So you have to you have to take care of you have to take care of self. Right, in order to take care of others, in order to in order to lead a to, in order to lead a team, 
All right, now you can be selfish with your ego, or you can be, or or you can be selfish with your with your confidence. There's a big there's a big difference about the two. You know, like I said, if you if it's about your ego, it's about you. All right, if it's about the confidence, it's about it's about the team. But we all have to sacrifice things that other individuals say they won't, but actually most of them most of them have. There is there is a there is a price to it. You know, people talk about being selfish. You know, what's the difference between selfish and individuals that meditate? You have individuals that meditate while they're being asked to left alone. This is time for themselves. This is time for them to reflect and, you know, take care of themselves. Well, what's the difference when an individual closes the door for an hour in their office or wherever they're at and they want to have they want to have that me time? Well, you know. One is considered selfish and the other is considered everyone says, oh, that, that's healthy. Well, the result is the result is actually being the same. You have to take care of you have to take care of self. You it's it's a prior it's a priority. It's not the only priority, but too many times it becomes. Because of the way selfish is defined in society and the, the adage behind it. We forget that we constantly feel like we have to give, give, give. And if you're constantly, if you're constantly giving, well, who's if you're constantly giving your energy to everybody, everybody else, where's the energy left for yourself? Amen. Uh, you were Michael Jordan's performance coach for 15 years. Tell us one thing you learned from Michael that changed your own trajectory. Oh, let's see. There was, there was a there was a lot there was a lot of lessons, but the one thing that he had that I learned was self accountability. Not all, you know. So what I mean by self accountability is he understood the value of time, not his time, the time everybody else was giving him. You know, people were the the individuals that couldn't get into the Chicago Stadium or the United Center, but they would stand. They would stand outside. They would stand outside. He would always. He would always say, you know, these individuals are taking time out of their schedule just to see me. I have to perform at the highest at the highest level. I have to have self accountability. I have to have self discipline, not only for myself, but for the individuals that are giving me something that's so valuable, more valuable than a price of a ticket. They're giving me their time. They are giving me their time. So he always said, when an individual, if you're put in a position where other individuals are giving you their precious time, you have an obligation to perform and be prepared and deliver at the highest level. And whatever you do, don't offer to lace Michael Jordan's shoes for him. That's a great story. <laughs> That's a great story as well. Uh, tell me one thing you learned from Kobe Bryant. The one thing I learned from Kobe Bryant, never doubt yourself. Never doubt yourself. He he never under any circumstances he never doubted himself. Now that doesn't mean he didn't have fear. All right, 
He had fear. He used fear to propel him. But doubt, doubt we create. And he never created doubt in anything he did for himself. Tim, I'm going to finish that conversation with this. Uh, you wrote, and I'm going to loosely quote, that there's a lot of players in basketball that are more focused on their brand than they are their performance. You wrote something about how their contract will be much shorter than that of their, you know, perhaps their endorsement deal. But what some of the elite players that separates them is they, they realize there's a sequence, right? Obviously, their performance drives this branding opportunity. But I think a lot of us could, could, could benefit from the reminder about how results are everything. At the end of the day, no matter how big someone's personality is or how charismatic they are or whatever, by the end of the day, results are everything. And perhaps, perhaps you might just send us off on a reminder about how everybody's reputation really comes down to whether they make and keep commitments, right? Whether they do what they say they're going to do, whether they can perform at the right time. Yes, results are everything. You listen, you're ju people judge individuals for the wrong things, all right? You judge individuals, so, you know, in their beliefs or something that they, they might say or they don't disagree, agree, uh, uh, they might disagree with you about something. But the bottom line is, Judge an individual by their results, by their results. Your results are your results are measurable. Your results are measurable. You cannot fake. You cannot fake true results. You can fake followers. <laughs> you can fake how you look. You can fake a lot of. You can fake a lot of things, but true results are me are, are are measurable, and people put them out there on a re on a regular basis. Results matter. Winning matters. Tim Grover, the author of the recent book, The Unforgiving Race to Greatness. I love Michael Jordan's tribute to you. Tim Grover was by my side for 15 years and knows more than anyone about building winners. This book is essential for those who want to be the best at whatever they do and are willing to pay the price to get there. Tim, thanks for your time today. Scott, thank you so much. What a pleasure. What an honor. The honor is ours, and we'll see you back here next week for a new conversation on leadership. Mm -hmm.